Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs. And this interview is about the future of our cities and the technologies and companies to make that happen. And so to learn more about that, today we get to interview Sean Abertson. And Sean is the managing partner of Urban US, which is a venture capital firm that invests in companies reimagining the city life. So Urban US has invested in about 26 companies like Dash, Architizer, One Wheel, and Black Block Power. So Sean is really in the middle of the kind of the transformation of the urban areas and the technologies that are making that happen. So definitely excited to learn more. And Sean has quite a background. He has a master's in science from MIT, an MBA from the Berlin School of Creative Leadership, and a bachelor's from the University of Cape Town. He He's done some traveling and lived all over, it looks like. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Sean, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Sure, happy to be here. Yeah, and so I was going to jump right into, you know, why you focus on companies and technology for urban areas, but the last comment I had, I, I, I mean, that, that is pretty diverse um, schooling you've had between, a, I think, um, three different continents. How does, yeah, I guess maybe you want to just tell us a little bit how that came about and your background first, because you have a pretty interesting background. Um, yeah, um, I, I wish it, I guess there's some interesting parts <laughs> of the story, but, uh, you know, so, so it was born in Cape Town. Okay. And, um uh the so the first uh, undergrad um was uh university of cape town which really was just close to home um and if you ever see the place it's sort of a hard place to leave mm-hmm. um so so that I, I don't have much more uh, of a thoughtful explanation about that um but uh, i landed up coming to the us um so i have family that moved to boston and uh i wanted to visit them and um, as part of schooling uh, in South Africa, you have to do a certain number of hours. Uh, I did engineering, so you have to work a certain number of hours and landed up doing an internship at Bose, uh, which was hmm. fantastic. And um, at some point, uh, so I went back sort of two years in a row, and at some point near the end of, of the second internship, um, the, the team that I worked with asked me which school I was going to next. And I was sort of surprised because I thought it was done with school. <laughs> so they said, okay, we'll, we'll write you recommendations. So if you get engineering school. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so that, that was, that was sort of the introduction to MIT. It took me a while to realize like how great MIT was. Um, but when I figured it out, I was like, okay, yes, I understand why there's more school. And then, um, uh, the Berlin school was a little bit more complicated. Um, I'd invested in a, I started angel investing around 2006 and um, uh, landed up talking to a board member at one of the companies and um, he, he was pretty senior at publicist at the time. And uh, was sort of saying to him, look, the thing that I really struggle with is, you know, I, I started engineering, I became sort of product person. And then I really was trying to understand how you launch products. And I, I was like, there's marketing sort of weird star. I don't understand any of this. And uh, he's like, Oh, I just, uh, I'm helping start a school in Berlin. Uh, it's like the best creative and advertising people. Uh, you should check it out. 
and um, and it was it was pretty radical. It's a, sort of you know one conversation, learned a little bit more, and they joined basically the the second class uh, for the Berlin School, and um, it, it was fascinating. I, I mean, for people who sort of understand communications and marketing, um, totally different type of skill, right? Like, I mean, it couldn't have been further away from engineering. Um, you know, but these are the types of people, you know, you're just sort of talking away and they, they will, you know, come up with the three words that summarize your idea perfectly. Uh, all that sort of hand sketch in 30 seconds, <laughs> the <laughs> representative storyboard. Um, and, and so it was, it, it was amazing. But, um, I, you know, I think, I think at least I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not great. I think I'm better at engineering than I am at communications, <laughs> but it certainly gave me a, a good appreciation for, um, yeah, how, how the great and, and in some ways sort of beautiful a uh, great communication can be. Interesting. And, and you said you started a angel investing in 2006. How, how did you get your start? And what was that first company you invested in? If you remember. Oh boy. Um, what was the very first one? Um, or one of them, <laughs> you know, well, no, so, so, so it's funny. I think, I think the, like angel investor memory is very selective. So I won't remember any of the bad ones. Right. right? And I'll, I'll, um, so the, with the, I think one of the first ones was, um, ZocDoc. Um, they, they, they do, um, scheduling platform for doctors. So it's about oh, yeah. nine years old now. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, sort of no, I, I, I want to claim that there's some sort of process, but just total Forrest Gump random sequence of events, um, <laughs> that led to, you know, sitting with the founders and, um, getting excited about the idea and then, um, wiring them, you know, sort of too much money <laughs> relative to the amount of money I had, uh, which, which was good because then it motivated me, motivated me to try and be helpful, um, because I suddenly panicked when I realized how much money it was. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it, yeah, it was, you know, that was, it was kind of really good. Um, it's been a really good, you know, sort of learning experience as a first investment. And how did you get that? Did that just come out of your own funding for that? Uh, when you started angel investing back then? Yeah. So, um, I, it was part, I was part of a small team, okay. um, that uh, I, I would say it was sort of a group of people that had all gone through the first dot-com uh, sort of bust. Um, and uh, they'd worked together on a company called Mail.com, um, which had IPO'd and had been quite successful. And then like uh, pretty much everything of that era uh, sort of slowly disappeared or quickly disappeared, depending. And, um, and you know, so the, the team had sort of bootstrapped um, their sort of second company together. And I was sort of lucky enough to join, um, early on. And then, you know, when we went out to raise money, it sort of got an M&A offer. And I think everyone sort of looked around and said, I remember when we had a lot of paper money, this seems like real money. We should probably take some of this. And, uh, and yeah, you know, next thing, um, you know, at the time I thought it was a lot of money, but, uh, then, then realized that it was no money at all, but that didn't, that didn't stop me from starting angel investing. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, and and what? Uh, yeah, I mean, your education is is probably one of the most interesting I've done in all the interviews. So, um, what uh, what did you start doing then after you got your MBA in uh, Berlin? I mean, you're, it sounds like you're already had started angel investing. Um, did you just kind of continue down? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so um, I, yeah, I continued um, doing that. I mean, it, angel investing is weird because I don't, I mean, I think it, it's much more 
professional now uh, than it was in its day, like 2007, 2008. Um, and so, you know, I did angel investment part of the time and then was was doing work around um, the thesis project that I did at the Berlin School, which was um, sort of organizing online communities. Um, so I landed up doing projects. Uh, did one with Starbucks. It was pretty interesting mm-hmm. to try and reduce uh, paper waste. So basically just trying to find different ways to, um, you know, to, to do sort of a call for solutions and then work with teams, um, you know, try and basically find interesting design teams that could approach the problem in a sort of new and novel way. Um, and so worked with a couple of smaller companies. Starbucks is probably the, the, the biggest one. Uh, there were a few others. There's a company, uh, there was a program called $300 House, uh, that was, uh, basically trying to design a three hundred dollar house. Wow. Um, there was a, a, a friend um, who had started Tree Hugger. Um, you know, designed a sort of ultra low footprint apartment. So he was very interested in energy efficiency, um, and so sort of was applying these ideas to these projects. It's it's was sort of happening in parallel with angel investing, and so it took me a few years. And eventually, I'm like, okay, I can um, maybe bring these things together. Um, you know, some of the problems that I thought were interesting with um, sort of early stage, you know, company building and funding. And uh, so slow, it, I, I'm, I was a little bit slow learner, but, um, you know, f- four years ago, finally all clicked. <laughs> okay. So, um, and Urban Us kind of came out of that. Gotcha. So four years ago, you started essentially full-time investing? Is that, or what was four Yeah. Years? Okay. Gotcha. Um, all right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Exactly. And you, you mentioned that uh, back when you started angel investing, and I remember those days. And um, it, back in two thousand six, seven, you know, it wasn't as professional. Do you think uh, the professional now that it is more professional? Do you think that's a, overall a good thing, or is it? Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I, look, I'm, I'm always mindful of, I mean, so I think the baseline is uh, what's the Latin root of amateur. It's like you do things because you love it. Um, so I, I think I probably have some bias towards um, amateurism, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I think the challenge with early stage is probably um, it has this in common with a lot of other activities. If you start off sort of focused on the money, it just doesn't work out. Um, and so I, I think angels that started off informally and got sucked in to, you know, okay, I, I really get this and I sort of find uh, maybe a thesis or an approach that I like, or um, I think, uh, you know, that's worked out well. Um, you know, it feels it feels like there's certainly more people who just, you know, this is more of a career and they, it, it's sort of more focused on um, the, the finance part uh, or the sort of making money part. Um, so, yes, I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, I think the way that the ecosystem works, you've got, um, sort of constantly new angels. You know, fortunately, as you have sort of technology companies succeed, um, there's some percentage of people who walk away who've been maybe informally helping their friends because they just enjoy doing that, advising, um, and then sort of find themselves writing more checks and then having to explain, you know, <laughs> why this money is going into this sort of high-risk approach to <laughs> investing. Um and uh, I think that's a good way to start. I mean, it was certainly the case for me. I think it's been the case for a bunch of people that, you know, we co-invest with. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of how I, I met um, Stonely. 
and to some extent how I met um, Mark and Anthony, our, our partners. Um, we all sort of, you know, were informally doing things and then um, got pulled into uh, formalizing or professionalizing, if you like. <laughs> nice. Yes. And yeah, that was going to be, that's a good segue to what you're doing now with uh, Urban US. <laughs> and so uh, good work. And um, yeah, so can you kind of tell us how, yeah, Urban US came about and uh, you kind of started a little bit there, but, uh, and why you chose kind of the urban investment thesis? Yeah, so um, so so some of the early conversation with Stoney um, were sort of focused on he just sold the company and was getting into this. Uh, you know, I'm happy to spend a little bit of time advising um, company. And so, you know, first it's, you know, how do you structure advisory agreements? And then it becomes how do you do investments? And so we were, we'd met and we were having those conversations. And then, um, you know, as we talked about investing, we got into this discussion about, okay, if, you, if you're going to be a generalist investor, so you're going to try and cover sort of all of what's happening in, in tech, um, that seemed super hard. Uh, it just seemed like four years ago, it seemed like we reached a point where, um, you know, tech was starting to infiltrate um, a lot of different sectors, maybe all sectors in the economy. Um, and that, and it seemed to mean like it would be helpful to have some domain expertise um, in order to, or some focus. Um, and so, you know, we talked back and forth and, and at the time, um, one of the interesting things that was going on was um, there was a group called C40 Cities. And C40 was, I think, the, the 40 largest sort of metro areas of cities in the world. And at the time, I think it was chaired by Mayor Bloomberg. Um, and they were trying to figure out effectively what were the repeatable or most impactful city policies that um, for climate change. Um, and so they were starting from the perspective that, you know, cities are about 70% of CO2 emissions. And then you sort of layer in the idea that, um, urbanization is going to, urban population is going to 2x within about three decades. So you sort of land up concluding that, okay, so climate change is effectively cities. And so, it, it, you know, if you're going to rebuild cities, um, or, or sort of redesign or change how you operate them, what would that be like? And so C40 was basically creating a roadmap of policies. And when we looked at that, we were sort of like, well, these policies are super interesting. Mm. Um, but, you know, who's building, who's going to build the, the sort of products and services that actually make the policies possible? Um, and it, that led us to, you know, sort of reaching out to founders and, and trying to understand who was working in and around cities. Um, and, and, and ultimately we decided that we would work together. Um, you know, we would, we would, um, start to actually go through the process of sourcing deals and making investments as really just a proof of comp, like an MVP for a fund, basically. And, um, and, and it was necessary for a few reasons. So you know, when you sort of get into, well, okay, let's redesign cities. I mean, the first thing is our reflex was, okay, we've got to go and talk to mayors <laughs> and, you know, you sort of go through the process and mayors are super influential, but you suddenly run into real estate and then you run into, you know, uh, automotive companies and then, uh, you know, utilities. And it's like, okay, there's lots of other important stakeholders. Um, there's lots of interesting sectors. And, um, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> these sectors have a few things in common, which uh, the very smart 
venture folks that I know um, were very cautious about. So, for example, uh, sometimes you land up selling to government. Definitely not a favorite thing <laughs> for uh, the top performing VCs. Um, you know, they, they, you know, it's sort of uh, you get the sort of wise chuckle. Uh, <laughs> and you sort of know that um, that somewhere they have a few anecdotes of some terrible experience. It's that kind of chuckle. <laughs> and so they're like, "Well, I don't know if that's the best idea, but that's interesting." Um, and then the other thing, just to just to make it more interesting, is there's a lot of hardware, right? So it's sort of you know, software may be eating the world, but at some point, if you touch the physical world, you you you, la- you tend to land up with some hardware, um, and that's also not. Um, sort of the favorite thing in 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 the venture world, and again for for some of the best performing um, uh, funds, I think these are sort of good guiding principles like avoid government and avoid regulation and avoid hardware um, but we were like okay if we if we 're serious about doing this, we kind of have to figure out how to do those types of deals mm-hmm. and um and so yeah we we started and and sort of two years in um, uh the, the deals that seem to be working <laughs> were the deals that we shouldn't have done. Hmm. Like, like, for, ex- <laughs> so, like for example, or do you have one in your mind? Uh, so, you know, if you think through, through the first portfolio, um, we had a company, uh, one of our first investments um, was an irrigation controller. Um, so a, a team based in Denver that, um, you know, was, was sort of very focused on water and efficiency and municipal water systems and um, had had sort of hacked together a um, an irrigation controller that would, in their estimation at the time, like cut water use by 30%. Huh. Um, and so the thinking was, well, okay, this is interesting. If you go and look at water use in municipal water systems, so forget about all water use, but, but certainly the sort of big expensive infrastructure that we move to, that we build to move water around, about a third to half of that in the U.S. is going into people's yards. Wow. So, okay, if we could make a 30% dent in that, that seems, that seems good. Those are decent yeah. size numbers. Um, uh, but yeah, but hardware, right? So, um, manufacturing in the U S, um, uh, you know, taking all sorts of risks with connected, you know, uh, hardware, um, and, um, and, and they've been growing phenomenally. I mean, uh, you know, there's, it's now about four years in, um, and, and they're doing great. I mean, they've, they've got a bunch of additional product ideas and I think probably most importantly, I think they're coming up on like 4 billion gallons saved. Oh, wow. And how does it work? Does it matter um, to the, f- yeah. How does it, how does it work? The technology? Yeah. So they, so, um, so I think like in, in, in sort of large scale agriculture, um, they're, they're, they, there's basically a bunch of ways to monitor evaporation rates. So you could look at, uh, humidity and wind and a bunch of factors and you can basically figure out an eva- an effective evaporation rate. And so, um, you know, what this controller is doing is sort of figuring out where it is in the world and then getting very localized weather information and then effectively correcting how much water is probably going to land up in the ground mm-hmm. based on, you know, all of these, eva- you know, uh, uh, evaporation related parameters. And then, of course, rainfall uh, or predicted rainfall. Um, and so the end result is I think they're doing 40 percent plus on a sort of baseline uh, in terms of savings. Oh, wow. So if you, if you, if you take your existing controller and you plug this in, you, you, without really doing anything, you get 
forty percent improvements. Wow. And what's the name of that company? Uh, it's called Ratio. Ratio, yeah, I think I've heard of that. I mean, I must have read it. Yeah, that's wow. That's okay. Interesting. So, so it's so it's it's weird. I mean, it it it's you know it's still I think. Um, connected home was very interesting at one point. I think there's this, you know, this was on the back of sort of Nest being acquired by Google, so it didn't seem so terrible. But, um, but yeah, the idea that that you know a seed stage fund would would sort of actively seek out hardware, I wouldn't say it was heresy, but it certainly didn't look <laughs> smart. I'm so I'm so I'm still not sure that it's smart. I want to be very careful because it's still early on. Um, but, but, you know, things that look like they, they shouldn't have worked or they shouldn't have grown quickly seem to be doing fine. And, and that's sort of one example. Well, they always say that kind of the only way to create outsized returns is do the things that people think are crazy. Otherwise, you know, you can might as well go invest in the stock market and, uh, otherwise, yeah, you're doing whatever all the other VCs are doing makes it kind of, t- you know, makes it harder. So you, yeah, I mean, I saw your portfolio Yeah, I mean, it definitely stands out and it's, different than I mean I funny one of the most I mean what what I think is interesting in sort of looking at different venture strategies um at least at a sort of a high level is you invariably come back to sort of some combination early on of you know, sort of team and product and market. And um the the founder of Sequoia, you know, Don Valentine always was was obsessed with the size of the market that, yeah. that people were gonna operate in, right? He sort of felt like you could adjust for everything else, including the team, which obviously doesn't make all teams happy. Um, but but you, you know you can correct for everything except you know what's the, ultimately the market that you're playing in. And so one of the things I think that we are in some ways is, is kind of fortunate about what we landed up focusing on is there are no small problems, right? Like if you if you pick a problem that is of any decent scale in one city. And you think there's another hundred cities that have a similar problem. So, you know, water infrastructure being one, um, the numbers are never small, right? The math is fairly simple and the addressable markets are big. And so in, in that way, you know, yes, there's risk, but, but I think to some extent, there aren't any small problems <laughs> for the areas that we look at. Interesting. And, and, and uh, below kind of your overall urban investment thesis, do you have like certain buckets that you kind of look at, like, Transportation, water, energy, health, I don't, infrastructure. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> throwing stuff out here. Oh yeah. yeah, no, you got. I think you got. You got most of them. So I mean, I, I, okay. so high, high level. Um, so we think about um, mobility. So just broadly, sort of discrete things that move around. So it could be you know transportation for people. It could be logistics. Um, but there's a lot. A lot of what defines cities is sort of um, moving things around or moving people around. Um, you know, built environment is sort of classically what people see, you know, skyline, roads, bridges, et cetera. So sort of a hard infrastructure. Um, and then you, you, you sort of touched on a few of them. You've got, you know, sort of energy systems, water, waste. Um, you know, you think about public health and air. Um, and so that's the third bucket we just call utilities. And then, um, the last group, uh, which is not the least important, but uh, is is service delivery, which is typically, you know, something that local governments are doing. Um, and so, how do you how do you improve delivery of services uh, by local governments? So that's those are the four buckets. And then, you know, within that, we've got you know some uh, I would say science fiction inspired ideas mm-hmm. about things that we think would be interesting. 
right? So um, talked with the team about the, this idea of, sort of um, elastic housing, right? So how how do we make housing more responsive um, so that it could be more affordable, um, you know, and can sort of change more quickly depending on if you have sort of more single people or you have more families. Um, but but housing is, it, you know, is regularly adapted, but it still feels very slow. Uh, um, you know, and, and similarly, sort of road infrastructure, you know, if you could build out bike lanes more quickly, would more people use bikes? Um, you know, is that a planning problem? Is it an implementation? Like, you know, where in in that universe could you sort of more quickly make biking a safe option from a sort of physical infrastructure perspective? So, you know, we tend to meet interesting people. Um, there's lots of people who sort of researched and thought about these things, and they ask interesting questions. And um, so we follow some of those threads. Um, and then hopefully at some point you sort of have religion that uh, it's almost like you go to Google and you search and like, oh, wow, of course someone thought about, you yes. know, flying cars. Yeah, there's, right. there's got to be 10 of them. And eventually something similar happens with startups. It feels like as soon as you start to get into an interesting problem, someone will show up and say, oh, we're working on that, um, which is kind of cool. And, and so have you in, invest in the kind of the, the sci-fi areas? Have you invested in companies? Are you, are you looking for companies? That, when you kind of create these, this, these theses, do you kind of go out then and actively pursue it or, or just kind of wait to see, or at least leave your antenna up to see if you hear of any companies in those areas? Yeah, so um, that's interesting. I um, I think we, you know, we'll, we'll sort of study a, a, a problem and we we try different ways to signal that we have an interest in an area. So, um, you know, one of the things that we did early on was um, try to figure out who was who had similar interests, so we could, um, you know, at this point we kind of, we I mean about eighty percent of the teams we invest in uh, come through introductions from a network of about fifteen hundred people. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, that group started off as, you know, something like 80 sort of friends and other people that we discussed Urbanus with. And, um, you know, so, so, so we got into this rhythm of we would send an email update like every two weeks. Uh, we still do that slightly slower cadence sometimes. But, um, in that email, we would say, you know, here are some things we think are interesting. It's either a trend or a piece of research or an observation. And, um, yeah, a decent number of people would read it, and and then it, it, a small percent would respond and say, "Actually, I just came across a company working on, you know, uh, flying cars." Um, and so at one point we got a lot of flying cars, um, you know. But but we'll you know we'll we'll get responses because we've you know told this sort of um, community of people, um, you know, this is very interesting to us, and uh, and then. Yeah, they they sort of make the connection. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we've got a, a, a very large extended team um, that sort of anticipates and sort of responds to you know interesting questions. Gotcha. Um, okay. Interesting. And what was uh, you know you mentioned uh, the one irrigation company? Do you that was I think a little older one? Do you have another company or? You're excited about that you've uh, recent more recently invested in, 
and, and it's okay to play. Yeah, so I mean, I, when I got this on email, I'm like, I'm, I can't play favorite with kids. So, nah, um, as a general, <laughs> <laughs> no, as a, I, I, I'll talk about one that sort of recently did a funding yeah. round. Um, um, so there's a there's a company in, in the Bay Area, um, and the team uh, is basically predicting building damage um, from earthquakes. And so they're taking this. So, so one of the things that's sort of fascinating about cities is you start to understand sort of how much available public data there is, and so you know, seismic data, uh, building data. Um, uh, there's a, there's a lot of public data sets, um, historical damage, and so they trained um, you know uh, an algorithm that you know can look at an earthquake and then predict the, the range of damage against individual buildings. Um, and so that's been used in a few different ways. One is to guide first responders to say, okay, if an event happens, one, we could create simulations that are very realistic. But if, in fact, something does happen or when something happens, um, we can try and isolate the places where there'll be the most need by effectively simulating damage and then um, directing first responders to where they're going to be needed most. Um, you know, it has some other implications in terms of planning. So now you can run simulations and figure out, you know, relative allocation uh, into infrastructure. Um, and then you start to bump into areas like insurance. So, so it's a super interesting area. It has, as a practical matter, um, you can save lives. Uh, and then in a sort of more general sense, you can manage, um, you know, more efficiently uh, build out of infrastructure and finance. Um and yeah, and, and, you know, we think it sets them, natural disasters are, are something that, um, you know, we think machine learning, uh, will have, you know, th there's a lot of other uh, natural disasters where they could use a similar approach. So that's, it's been yeah, quite interesting to watch that grow. Wow. So who would their uh, clients be? Would it be cities and governments or the billion planning departments or, yeah. Insurance companies. Yeah, so so yeah, so it's it's all of the. I mean, that was one of the interesting things early on. It, I mean, it it was yeah, there are a lot of different stakeholders, and I think um, that's one of the things we've started to notice is um, a lot of the solutions in cities benefit a lot of stakeholders, and then you get to this interesting question of who should be or who's likely to be your first customer, and so insurance is interesting. Um, you know, insurance is, is, is probably something that benefits most from the sort of data exhaust of their sort of cooperation, which is first responders, so training and sort of guiding. Um, in part because the first responders land up, um, helping to correct predictions, right? So if they show up somewhere and one of the predictions is, is off by some amount. So they, you know, the damage could be rated medium and it's higher than medium, then you can tune those things. So. Um, some of the first customers are actually helping to improve the product. Um, but yeah, so, so first is local governments. It's fire, uh, police, and sort of first responders. Um, you know, there's state level coordination. And then, you know, people forget that the people who respond to first responders tend to be uh, the military. <laughs> so huh. then you fairly quickly find yourself like, okay, well, how are all these people coordinating? And, you know, um, it's it, it you know and you've also got um, volunteers, um, so yeah. So I think they've as they've gone, they found that um, some of the initial customers uh, were local governments, then sort of federal agencies, and now 
uh, even individual private and volunteer groups um, are participating. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And, and the, on more of a macro level, this is, this is always a tough question. I, I maybe very, I mean, you've kind of touched on this multiple times probably, but I, it, I'm always curious if, you know, you think a lot about cities and kind of where they're going and where they're at now. Like, are there certain trends or things that you think about or you see that might be surprising to somebody like me <laughs> who uh, probably doesn't spend as much time thinking about it? Or where do you see things headed? And, uh, yeah, just curious if you have any thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't – I mean – I don't know if I, I don't know if we sort of predict. I mean, I think what, what what's interesting about the best founders that we meet is they they tend to have a, a clearer idea than we ever going to have because they've they've sort of mm-hmm. gone really deep on a specific problem. Um, and so I think we have a couple of ideas of things. You know, so like so one of the interesting things is um, I think probably the biggest change, which is probably obvious, is is in how we move around. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's sort of interesting. There's um, a movie from, like, I think the Museum of Modern Art in New York uh, reconstructed a movie from 1911. And, you know, there's electric trams, um, there's steamboats, you know, there's horses, and there's a handful of cars because at that point, I think Ford had produced maybe 10,000 cars total. And, you know, within a decade or a little bit more than a decade, Ford's producing 10,000 cars a day. Mm. And so you sort of get this thing of like, okay, so the economics fundamentally changed and cities have never looked the same, right? It's sort of been the defining characteristic. So then we're trying to look at, so what things do you look at where you think, okay, the, the, the price is really going to decrease rapidly and you could see some new types of transportation. So obviously autonomous is one thing where, you know, the hardware is getting cheaper, the software, you know, uh, you know, the, the hardware on the computation side is getting cheaper, uh, the sensors are getting cheaper, and then the software, um, you know, we can do some crazy stuff with machine vision, for example. So that seems interesting. Uh, autonomous is only going to have an impact. But then you sort of tease that out a little bit more, and you're like, well, um, what's harder? Is it harder to fly an autonomous aircraft or, you know, drive an autonomous bus mm. through like a congested pedestrian, yeah. you know, sort of peak hour, uh, traffic with lots of pedestrians. Um, and flying looks a lot easier, right? So, I mean, this is not my observation. I think this is a bunch of people who've sort of invested in vertical takeoff, uh, electric, um, aircraft. Uh, this is the thesis. The thesis is that, you know, um, you know, doing autonomous flights actually is easier. So there's some weird things like that where, um, it's a little bit unintuitive, um, but all the, all the pieces for autonomous flights are getting very cheap. Um, and so we may land up with these interesting uh, sort of hybrids of, you know, autonomous long haul trucks and then, you know, uh, 30 mile range <laughs> quad, you know, personal quadcopter, which yeah, seems very, very viable. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, so, so it's hard, but I think there's a, there's a lot of things getting cheaper at the same time. And I think anytime that happens, um, you know, people can experiment and they can adopt um, you know, very, very quickly. And then, you know, I think that has a lot of implications and you start to think about where do people live and then how does property tax work and then who pays for infrastructure and you have a lot of sort of crazy things that could happen um, as you as you make a dramatic change to mobility. How, um, so it sounds like you know a little bit about these uh, flying drones and 
of course i'm very interested i i'm ready for my i'm ready for the self-driving car so i never have to drive again but when the personal drones i mean you know you're right like in some ways the technology seems a lot simpler for a personal drone at least like the navigation and you don't have to worry about hitting people the same way or uh, you know anyways but you know how soon do you think uh do you have any idea how soon we might have something that uh wasn't japan gonna have something for like the Olympics or something, they're working on something pretty soon. But realistically, how soon do you think we could actually see something like that? No, so, I mean, so I think the core the core pieces are there. I mean, I think there's always sort of you know what does engine failure look like, um, you know. But I think you can you can borrow a lot from you know. There's, aviation is has, has sort of explored a lot of these things with helicopters, um, but I think. Uh, I want to say Dubai has a, pi- an, a, a current pilot. Um, I need to go and check either yes. it's planned or it's yeah. about to yeah. start. Um, and then, I, you know, and then I think there's, you know, then there's a bunch of regulatory, but, but you can, you could see a lot of places in the world where like Sao Paulo has the biggest, you know, private helicopter fleet in the world. Right. So what would it take for them to start? They, they also have some of the worst traffic in the world. So what would it take for them to start thinking about this? It, it's not the case like in in um, in a city like New York. I don't I I don't think there's sort of overflights of helicopters. You can fly up to the edge of the city, but you okay. can't fly over. I see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, so then I think it's. I, I mean, I think the technical pieces are there. Um, I think the regulatory is is always a place mm-hmm. where okay, you start to think about. You know who who stands to lose. I mean, we do a lot of this um, type of analysis of like, okay, well, you know, who, who, what's the, who, who's going to resist this particular change? Um, so yeah, um, and and then yeah, there's some there's some very. I mean, we've got we have an investment in in an electric aircraft company. It's not focused on sort of one or two seaters. It's it's sort of medium or short haul. Okay. Um, for, for 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 different just because we think sort of regional travels also uh, very interesting, um, but yeah, I mean, it it's I think that the technical piece. I, I think a lot of what's happening at the moment is we sort of see things as okay, that felt like something that would have been science fiction, but yes, okay, we have all the Legos and someone's going to build that and it will probably work, and then it's more a question of okay, so there's you know public safety, which is a good reason to push back on stuff. And then a lot of vested interests uh, that will, that, you know, will, will sort of slow things down. And so it, it, it's hard to predict sort of sort of adoption or, or where things will happen first. So, um, yeah, some some of those things may not happen in the U.S. first. Uh, if you look at so the progress, even for commercial drones, there are places in the world that have far fewer regulations, and it's sort of easy to get up and test. So it will be interesting. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and and do you let's see. I think we're almost out of time. Do you? Ha- I got a couple more questions. Yep. Do you have five more minutes? Oh yeah. Chat? Okay. All right. Um, so I was curious from you know you come from the business perspective, but you know if you were became mayor of a Miami, you know, or if you're an advisor to a mayor at a large city, what would you, what would you kind of tell them to do in order to kind of brace in technology or prepare for it. And, or you, know, you talk about, you know, how mobility is going to kind of change the idea of taxes and everything. And yeah, I, this is like a huge question. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this is the whole <laughs> yeah. podcast in itself, but uh, um, yeah, if you have any, uh, 
advice you would give yourself as a mayor or some uh, another mayor? I'd be curious. Um, look, I think the probably the most interesting um, place to 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 sort of test um, that I think has the most upside, right? So, so, so starting from the idea that um, you know we can figure out the technology, uh, put the regulatory side uh, away for a moment, but the, the thing that's hard to predict is how are people going to react. Right. So, you know, are they going to get super excited and we'll all, you know, within 10 years, we'll go from no smartphone to everyone having a smartphone. Um, so if you could do that with like, you know, electric bike share, that would be kind of cool. Hmm. Right. Are, are there other things that could, that could grow at that scale? And I think mobility offers a lot of options because it sort of addresses the question of, um, you know, access to opportunity. Right. Um, you know, if you if you if you have a two hour commute because of you know peak hour traffic, that really sucks, and it's going to change sort of what your options are, how much you see your family. It, it, it it's economic opportunity and quality of life. So I think the way in is through mobility, and then I think there's never been sort of more Legos, right? Like you, historically, you had a few sort of Legos to play with in mobility. A lot of them were you know sort of big rail or subways, sort of big expensive projects. And now you have a lot of things that are relatively lightweight, right? There's a, um, you know, I think bike share, um, the sort of docked bike share systems in the U.S. I think are on the order of, let's say, 3,500 bucks a bike. In China, they've got dockless bike share, which is just a freestanding bike for about 200 bucks a bike. Huh. Um, and so you sort of get back to this, you know, this thing of like, okay, well, if if automobiles drop by 10x or more than 10x in price. Yes, you'll have more buyers. And similarly, if you can drop the price of bike fleets by a factor of 10, you can have much bigger fleets and maybe more people try it out. Um, so I, I think the main advice would be, you know, go all in on finding a couple of smart mobility policy people. Hmm. Uh, go and talk to, um, I think, anyone in the space, automotive, you know, traditional tech. There's so many people looking for places to pilot. And, uh, you know, maybe in addition to solving the underlying problems, you get some economic upside, you know, new jobs, um, you know, sort of more livability, uh, better economic opportunity. You know, I think all those things could, could happen within relatively short time frame. Um, and, and yeah, and you may even get some sort of Jetsons effect if you, exactly. if you throw in some, uh, radical takeoff aircraft, um, which, yeah, uh, awesome. so yeah, so I, I mean, I, I really like, I think I would love to see some mayors go really all in on, you know, let's push very, very hard on uh, figuring out how to, how to sort of quickly trial uh, new mobility options. Yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of a, and then we should go on my other questions, but, um, <laughs> because, I, but anyways, this is an interesting topic because I mean, there's not like a lot of cities that I think of like, wow, those got. You know they they've stated like we're open for experimentation. Like we want to figure this out. We want to like we want technologies to come here, and we're gonna be very a regulate regulatory environment is gonna be very friendly. And at least I know you actually might know of some cities that are doing this, but uh, that at least I haven't come across. A, too no, I, th I think they are, and I think look in in fa in fairness, the, you know, you sort of look at at the at at the number of things that you could trial, and then you think about uh, the. The, the various risks, right? So um, the, there's public safety. As soon as you get into, you know, autonomous vehicles, those are very real concerns. Um, and then, you know, bike share, like, you know, dropping a huge bike share, a cheap bike share fleet on a city, um, 
cars that do to sidewalks, etc. So, you know, um, then you've got a bunch of new inexperienced riders. There's lots of stuff to consider. So I do think that there, um, there's a lot more conversation. Um, I think one of the challenges is because there's so many new options, um, I don't think like city planners or policymakers are used to dealing with so much change at once. Um, and, and I mean, I see, I mean, we find it overwhelming as people who sort of go into the world looking for new stuff. Right. <laughs> um, and then even you talk, you talk to private companies and they have the same problem. You talk to automotive, um, you know, it, it's really like, you know, you, you just sort of, uh, you know, frantically trying to, you know, turn over every rock and see what's happening and what opportunity there is. Um, so yeah, so, so I think there's interest and there, there definitely are cities, um, you know, sort of, you know, I think even in, in Miami, even the, the state of Florida has pushed really hard to make it easy um, to 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 test autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, so there's definitely work at different levels of government, and uh, yeah, I'll, I, I won't make a list of who's doing the best job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You might have to work with different ones. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, no, I mean, I think I, look, I think there's also different starting points. Like, I think in a lot of ways when you look at, you know, just density. So if you go to a European city that most of them were not designed, they were adapted to accommodate cars. Um, you know, adding back biking and more pedestrian space is relatively easier than, um, you know, I think I saw an example of Barcelona versus Atlanta. Like in population, they're very similar. I think I think the density in Barcelona is like two or three X, probably more. And so then you think about like, okay, what would it take to add a transit system to Atlanta? And it, it's crazy. It's like 10x the cost easy. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, you don't, that's not, that's not going to be an option, you know, unless you, unless everyone's going to move from the suburbs into downtown, <laughs> um, Atlanta, you know, so, so, uh, Atlanta is going to get there differently. They, they're probably a great market for autonomous cars. Yeah. Um, so. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you get to no, I know you have more questions. We're, we're, I'm sorry. And this, this is the last question. So we're almost out of time, and but uh, this has been great. But yeah, I, I'm always curious what do you uh, like to do when uh, you're not thinking about uh, the urban environment and technologies, and what do you like to do in your personal time? I, I mean, personal time is, um, I, you know, so, so work is sort of all consuming. Um, and then, you know, in personal time, it's family. Um, I have uh, um, a nine and eleven year old, and um, yeah, they just <laughs> they grow up too quickly. It's kind of crazy. You spend a lot of time thinking about what the world will be like, and then um, you know, it's sort of at once inspiring to think about what their life will be like. But um, yeah, just like to hang out with them. Oh. Uh, I think the, la the last projects involved um, they wanted blue hair, so that was our last. <laughs> um, <laughs> project nice. is like okay that, that's a, that's a real option um so yeah so i guess um sometimes hairdressing or hairstyling although i'm bold nice i love it yeah i got a five-year-old girl and i might i tell people my hope is that uh she'll never have to drive <laughs> from, my, from a dad perspective so <laughs> gotta make sure these uh, yeah no it's <laughs> Flying and driving. Oh, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's why. I mean, it's, it's really wild. I mean, we, I, I don't, I think it's like, it's sort of hard to get, you know, when you, when you go through sort of thinking about kids and after school, what school do they go to? And then you say, okay, well, let me remove the sort of, um, you know, carpool or just, you know, someone has to get them yeah. somewhere. 
like what happens yeah. <laughs> if you could, you know, sort of get them anywhere. Um, that's, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. It is. Well, yeah. Well, I'm excited for it whenever it comes, but anyways, <laughs> this is a, yeah, this has been great. Sean, I really appreciate your uh, time and your thoughts and energy and uh, really fun to hear what you're working on and what you've done. And uh, it's great for cities. So really appreciate what you're doing and for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I'll be off the track kind of your progress over the years and uh, that'd be great. So and thanks for everyone. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of flyover labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Sean. Thanks everyone.